Hello, Rebecca Langley here for this week's edition of Stick Together, focusing on union news and social justice issues. Stick Together is produced in the studios of 3CR Radio in Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network and brought to you on your local community radio station. This week we will be hearing from Sally McManus on the launching of her Little Red book called On Fairness. We'll also hear from the Australian Unemployed Workers' Union about their trip to regional South Australia to investigate the impact of the cashless welfare card. But first, some union news. Concerns have been raised this week over safety procedures inside West Connect's motorway tunnels after more than 300 workers were told to leave sections of the project. A broken water pipe and power generator issue prompted a mass evacuation of workers from both ends of the tunnels at Haberfield and Homebush on Thursday morning, the electrical trade union says. The incident came after more than 200 workers downed tools on Tuesday when raw sewage overflowed from a portable toilet into the tunnel. Following both incidents, workers have reported concerns to the union about problems with the evacuation procedures, along with a lack of effective communication from management, which they fear could have deadly consequences if the evacuation was for a life-threatening emergency, ETU Secretary Justin Page said in a statement on Thursday. One incident might be bad luck, but when each day seems to bring another serious issue, it raises valid questions about how the New South Wales government is managing this project. West Connects denied there was an evacuation of the tunnels. Following a power outage in a section of the new M4 tunnels this morning, some workers were redeployed to other areas of the tunnel and some were sent home, a statement to mainstream media said. This week, Mexico's new president, Andreas Manuel López Obrador, was confronted over alleged corruption between his predecessor and the Sindicato Mexicano de Electricitas, or SME. Reporter Rosa Elena Soto asked questions about the contracts for operating the huge Necaxa hydroelectric power station, saying that many of these contracts have indications that they were plagued by corruption. In his response, López Obrador called the union possibly the most democratic union in Mexico's history until they viciously destroyed it in the neoliberal period. Noting that its 44,000 members had been fired in 2009, he called for a solution to the conflict. Any corruption, he emphasised, wasn't attributable to workers but to companies that took advantage of the situation. But López Obrador also called for consulting the discredited former leaders of the union who had accepted government payoffs after the firings. This response provoked outrage from the union's leaders. SME General Secretary Martin Esparza replied, We walked miles and miles in demonstrations, faced with dignity those who fired the workers. We did not sell out, even as our families suffered, and we didn't just sit back with our arms folded and wait for answers. In fact, we proposed viable and novel solutions. That solution is a cooperative that has taken over many of the facilities where SME members formerly worked, including the Nekaksa power station in the reporter's question. 
This novel solution represents the union's hope of putting back to work the thousands of electrical workers thrown into the street a decade ago. When López Obrador carefully noted the union's reputation, he was acknowledging the importance of its 100-year history on the Mexican left. The Mexican Electrical Workers' Union, or SME, the oldest democratic union in Mexico, was founded in 1914 when the armies of Emiliano Zapata took Mexico City. Almost a century later, in 2009, the Philippe Calderon administration attempted to destroy the union and the nationalised company that employed its members. But thousands of the SME's members refused to give up their union. Instead, they spent the next eight years in resistance. This week, a report from Prime Minister Scott Morrison's department into a remote Indigenous work for the Dole scheme has revealed the program as an abject failure. The ACTU has been scathing of the Community Development Program, or CDP, calling for the abolition of the program and its replacement with one that provides genuine paid employment. The CDP forces unemployed people in remote areas to work for free, sometimes for for for-profit companies for 25 hours per week, without any basic workplace entitlements or protection of federal OH&S or workers' compensation laws. Under the CDP, people were twice as likely to lose 20% or more of their quarterly income to onerous penalties than they were to get a job, the report reveals. More than 80% of the people subject to the CDP regime are Indigenous. Three in five people under the scheme have had their payments cut as punishment for non-compliance, with one in ten people losing more than 20% of their quarterly income. Yet only 6.7% of participants got a long-term job after participating in the program, an increase of only 350 extra jobs over the previous program. Failure to comply with the rigid CDP obligations leads to harsh financial penalties that harm participants, their families and their communities. At last year's ALP conference, the party committed to abolishing and replacing the program. The ACTU's Indigenous officer, Lara Watson, said, quote, People in remote and regional Indigenous communities have a right to be paid fairly for their work and to have the same protections as every other worker in Australia. End quote. You're listening to Stick Together, workers' stories and union news. Broadcast around the country every week on the Community Radio Network. Today we are celebrating the launch of ACTU Secretary Sally McManus's book, On Fairness. You're probably all familiar with the statement Sally made on the ABC's 7.30 when she said, yeah, I believe in the rule of law where the law is fair, when the law is right, but when it's unjust, I don't think there's any problem breaking it. Well, I attended the Melbourne launch of her book this week at the Victorian Trades Hall. So let's hear what Sally McManus had to say. respects to the people of the Kulin Nation. Um, thanks for being here, everyone, uh, for the book launch. I'm only going to say a few things. I also want to thank my dear friends Luke and Ben for being part of the launch as well. Well, yesterday the Australian in one of those hit pieces. 
says it's pretty much like they thought with the wet lettuce really. But <laughs> said that you should be afraid of this book because it's like comic book Marxism. So I hope you're not afraid, I don't think you will be at all, but I apologise that there aren't actually any comics in it. It's a bit disappointing. Um, but I want to say to every single union member here, you should be proud of being part of the Monty Trade Union movement. You should be proud of that. You should be proud of everything we've achieved and everything we're going to continue to go on to achieve. And the fact that in our country, as Dan says that's right, was based on unfairness towards Indigenous people and others over a period of time. But the whole concept of the fair go and what that meant was built by us, by us and the people before us. There's a little vignette in the uh, book about the first time the term fair go was used. It was actually in 1891 in Rockhampton at the, uh, at the train station. And it was during the Shearer's strike and scabs were um, being pulled up at the station and some of the leaders of the strike were there to greet them. And uh, the police came along and arrested some of the strike leaders. And when one of the strike leaders said, well, what am I being arrested for? He said, oh, well, it's here on a piece of paper. Well, let me see the piece of paper. Oh, no, you won't. He said, well, that's not the fair go. So that's the first time in recorded history that that particular um, word was used and how fitting was it and it says everything about the fact that we are the people that sort of generated this. It was in the, um, the great um, Shearer strike. So we uh, need to be proud of our history, totally proud of it and proud of who we are. And that's a little bit about what the book's about, really. It's about not reclaiming it, but about telling those stories. And I don't tell all the stories because the stories of groups and individuals, but it's just some of those stories. And Luke, in his opening, told some of the stories about you know this great trades fall. It's important for all of us to tell those stories. And you know why? So they don't want us to. They don't want us to know that it was actually us, just normal working people, that brought about change in this country. They don't want us to know about it. They don't want it taught at schools. They want, in fact, in fact, they want us to believe nothing can be done about unfairness. Nothing can be done about inequality. You know, last week, Josh Feinberg gave a speech, and then it was a week before, and then it was followed up by an interview at 7.30, a report by Scott Morrison. And they both um, said the same thing, which was also repeated by um, uh, Malcolm Turnbull uh, about a year ago. Who cares when? And it was... Uh, <laughs> this whole idea about pay rises and where were pay rises going to come from. And they repeated the thing about tax cuts. If we have more tax cuts and we hand that over to business, that that's going to lead to, to pay rises. But things have changed in a year. And now journalists actually go on to ask the question and say, well, hang on a minute, where's your evidence of that? How is that true? And Scott Morrison just looked shocked. And he said, well, economics 101. Well, the book goes yeah, into Economics 101 a bit. Too bad it didn't go beyond first year and beyond that. But I guess the idea is this um, the secret hand of capitalism or the hand of the market that is unseen, that's invisible, that's not there. And you can't control that, can you? You can't do anything about it because it's just secretly out there making all these things happen to us. Well, that's the most disempowering thing of all, isn't it? And so it's told to us deliberately that it's actually the market, the economy, all of these things that happen somehow naturally, just like the sun coming up every day. And there's nothing you can do about that. 
Well, they say that because they don't want us to go about making demands to make things fairer and knowing in our hearts that it's true that we can make things fairer. So that's part of the reason why we've got to talk about our history as well because our history is all about insisting on rules for fairness, all about it. And it's all about the struggles that it took to get that. And some of those struggles, of course, involved strike action. And of course, in our country, most of the time, withdrawing your labour has been illegal. It's all been illegal. So we shouldn't be condemning those people that, that took, you know, took part in a national strike in 1976 to defend Medicare, that went on strike for eight hour a day here, or I could go on and on with a list of big struggles that have happened in this country and big sacrifices, not just for themselves, but for all of us. Those people are our heroes. They're our heroes. about there being nothing we can do about things and you know rules you know they don't even want to talk about rules but it's sort of crap really isn't it because the governments are doing things all the time that are in the bidding of the rich and so that's what privatization is all about giving more of our stuff over to people already have enough of it and look at our tax rules look how they've written and the whole discussion we're having about extremely well-off um, retirees as well look at our trade rules are entirely written for multinationals not not for us not for fairness but so that they can make more and more money and look at the banking royal commission look just yesterday even though they said at the heart of it all it was all about greed and profit they don't want to change any of the rules to stop that do they and so what's going to happen it's going to keep happening and it's going to keep happening and I can't help thinking about the Trade Union Royal Commission and what we went through which went for two years 200 witnesses there's only 69 witnesses in the in the Banking Royal Commission and if you think about it trade unions like in terms of um, our size not about our membership but in terms of elected officials are tiny compared to the banking industry more money put into it Police um, were tapping people's phones, they raided officers, they bought television cameras to show all these arrests of people in the back of paddy wagons, Johnny Lomax in, in, in the ACT, all of those things happened to all those people. Did we see one single banking executive that happened there? I saw one faint and get taken out into an ambulance. But after all of that, after they were found to be involved in all of these criminal um, things, you know, someone said to me the other day that um, you know, this idea of, uh, you know, free for no service. Like in other languages, that would be like stealing. You know, like stealing, isn't it? Like, do you see, you know, any of those people going to jail and what they did to us in our Royal Commission where they really found pretty much nothing? So just shows how things are written um, so much for, for the already rich. So, of course, we've been this book being about fairness, it's about um, inequality and the, just a few things about that. You know, people can talk about statistics, they can talk about, um, you know, Reserve Bank can talk about the economy and the fact that retail sales are down, are down in December. December's meant to be like the time when you know, people, you know, spend a lot. They can talk about all of that, but there's a real life experience that people can't, you know, it flies in the face of when Scott Morrison or the others say, we don't have a problem with inequality, it's actually not a problem. We know it is, it's our everyday lives. But the thing is, the consequence is, is that some people at the very top live a totally different life, a totally different life. 
And that's not something we've been so used to in our country. It wasn't as unequal between the people at the very top and the majority of people. And now what you see is that those people don't even understand what it's like for most, um, most people. You know, that's why they, they rely on um, focus groups and all of this, like, so they can, like, wear fish and fish bowls. Like, all oh, right, what's the fish done today? Try this line on it. See what, see what they think about that. Because they're no longer in touch with any of us. And I think that in our country, because the promise of a fair go was something real, something people believed in, and we were more equal, it's different to other places in the world. Because the promise was so big, and now inequality is um, happening like it is, and so quickly, the reaction is likely to be bigger. Because it's not what we expected life would be like here for working people. And so with that expectation gap, you've got people like Pauline Hanson, you've got people, you know, like the list of micro people that are out there filling that expectation gap with lies. Saying the reason why, you know, you're not doing as well as your parents did or you're struggling in insecure work or you can't get, kids can't get a job is because of migrants or because of Muslims. All lies, like to fill that reason. Because people are looking for a reason. It's our job to tell them the truth and to give them those reasons is because people at the top are not sharing anymore. And we need to insist on rules for fairness. So effectively, that's what the book's about. Thanks for us. I say union, you say power. Union? Power! Union? Power! Union? Power! You're listening to Stick Together, union news and social justice issues on your local community radio station. If you don't yet have a copy of On Fairness by Sally McManus, you can get one by going to the Melbourne University Press website, www.mup.com.au. Looking back, it's vital for our movement to always remember where we have come from, who has come before us, and what they have achieved for working people. Here are some moments to remember. In Broken Hill on February 6, 1966, after official price controls are lifted on fuel, union bans and a community boycott defeat attempts by retailers to ramp up prices. In Brisbane on February 7, 1985, a state of emergency is declared by the state government to break months of action against the sacking of 1,000 electrical trades union members. On February 9, 1974, Australian unions place bans on all flights to and from Chile after Australian activists are refused entry by the Pinochet dictatorship. In Melbourne on February 10, 1885, Bootmakers win a long struggle against the use of outworkers and children in their industry. Let's continue to remember and continue to fight. My name's Hayden Patterson and I'm uh, National Vice President of the Australian Unemployed Workers Union. Um, I've also been involved in uh, building up our presence here in South Australia uh, from January 1st last year and part of that was getting to know our members in regional South Australia and going out and see what issues affect them on a daily basis, living below the poverty line. Um, and one of the trips that we did was uh, in the middle of August, we did a regional road trip with about nine volunteers from the union 
and we went up in Stadium Sejuna for a week and we spoke to people there about their biggest issue, uh, which was the cashless welfare card. And long story short about that, it was a 12-month trial uh, that's been extended and extended and it's now going into its fifth year. Yeah, and can you tell us a few of the issues, like the main things that they were talking about and why it's a problem? Well, I mean, one of the main issues is that for a community uh, that is supposed to be addressing community issues, they're not being consulted. And further insult to that is they're not even being listened to. So it was targeted towards about 83 people in town, apparently with drinking and drug and gambling problems. And there's about 900 people who are on this card as a result of that. Um, the mayor, who was a, quite a proponent of the cashless welfare card trial, uh, said that it wouldn't actually affect anyone who didn't have a drinking or drug problem. And if at most it would be a minor inconvenience. But, you know, I, I spoke with 60-year-old ladies who volunteer in craft shops who have never taken a drug in their life, they've never drunk in their lives, and... They used to contribute, for example, they would take wool and knitting and stuff that they bought off of eBay. Now that they're on the cashless welfare card, they can't even make purchases like that. So it's actually quite isolating. Um, and then you have other problems, such as if the system goes, uh, you don't have access to medicines and vital necessities and paying your rent on time and things like that. So it becomes quite an issue. So what... What do you mean by the system going? Um, occasionally the, the machines won't work, so FPOS machines won't work. Um, recently there was an NAB outage, which meant no one who was on the INJU card was able to use it Australia-wide until they restored the system. Wow. And that took some six hours, but I know myself, and I'm not on the cashless welfare card, I wasn't able to use my national bank card. It was the same system. And it was a 42-degree day, so I'd leave my groceries there, come home, and it just wasn't feasible for me to go back that day. So I ultimately missed out on things I needed. And this is an issue that affects people in regional Australia far worse than us living in the city. Yeah. Like how many of the people in Seduna were Aboriginal people? Uh, it's quite a high percentage, and so that's the other issue with this card is it, it's uh, targeted towards people who are uh, our vul most vulnerable citizens of the country, uh, whether they be Indigenous or living below the poverty line. But Sejuna has such a, a high population of Indigenous Australians that it does seem like a targeted um, scheme towards them. The biggest event in Sejuna each year is the Oyster Fest, and you can't use your cashless welfare card there. So a comment that we were hearing a lot was, it's almost like we're not invited to celebrate in our own town's events and they were just swept under the rug. Yeah, so it's like they're creating this division and yeah, isolation of second-class citizens. or An even wider division and isolation. And, yeah, it, it's actually um, quite demeaning when you're living this and people that you know. And I mean, for example, one of the first things that we did uh, we've walked into the IGA there and we could see straight away about 200 metres away there was someone using a grey card and it was a cashless welfare card and, and it's just quite obvious so <coughs> one of the problems is you can only check the balance by phone so you'll yeah. go to the shop 
and you'll think you've got $100 on the card because you just checked the balance five minutes ago. And then when you get to the shop, you've got a, uh, a trolley full of groceries, you've got a line-up behind you, and the card doesn't go through. Most people will abandon their groceries and just walk away rather than keep trying it until it goes through. I, I had one gentleman tell me that that was an experience that he had, and then when he got home and rang the balance to see why it wouldn't go through, there was $76 missing, and no one could account for it. So... It makes it actually a further impediment for people being able to manage their own finances, even though they're such a small amount. And what what is the uh, Unemployed Workers Union? What are you doing to, to help these uh, people? So uh, we actually went in independently. We um, didn't go in with any sort of uh, answer that we were looking for, but we wanted to actually consult with the community because that was the uh, biggest request from them. And so we ended up surveying uh, 1% of the town and 5% of people that are on an income support payment. And as a result, it, it was quite some work, but we've done quite a lengthy report into the Sejuna visit, and that's on our website uh, for Australian Unemployed Workers Union. And it references all of the surveys that we did, all of the other reports that have come out from ANAO and um, all of the other evaluations of the cashless welfare card program around the country so it's quite a good document and a good summary of even if you're not sure of what compulsory income management's about it'll give you a bit of a history into it going back to northern territory 10 years ago yeah and uh i know we're going to have a a trial down here in frankston as well and um, the union is uh having information sessions about that that's correct, and we're also um, calling for people who do want to get involved with the campaign against the cashless welfare card, especially in the Frankston area, to um, contact us and let themselves be known. Um, they just rolled it out into Harvey Bay in January as well, and so now there'll be five trial areas, but this is not a trial, which is what it keeps getting called. Yeah. A trial has a set beginning date and a set end date, and also parameters that they're checking. But when you keep extending it year upon year upon year, it's actually a new program that's being rolled out. Yes. And how can the people in Frankston, how can they get in touch? Uh, If you go to the website, uh, you can click on a link to contact us or the email address is contact at unemployedworkersunion.com. If you do look at the website there and fill that out or even call the number that we have for our advocacy line, and you'll be able to speak to someone, but someone will definitely get back to you. Um, we are an organisation run by volunteers, so um, sometimes it might take a couple of days for someone to get back to people, that's all. That's it for Stick Together this week. Thanks to you for listening, and thanks to Hayden from the Australian Unemployed Workers' Union for talking to us. Stick Together is produced at 3CR Studios in Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. The podcast is available at 3cr.org.au and you can contact the producers of the show at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com or by calling 03-9419-8377 and leaving us a message. Remember, wherever you are, whatever you do, there's a union for you. My name's Rebecca Langley.